Christmas and welcome to the show. This is episode number 99 of Pop Culturally Deprived and today we're going to be talking about Christmas with the Cranks on your free frosty podcast. I'm Andy Kay. And I'm Merry Christmas. Matthew Vose. Who's Mary? (laughs) (laughs) I have a cat named Mary. Does that count? Uh, This is technically episode 100 because we did do that bonus one. So episode 100, congratulations everyone we did it. Episode 101 next week. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Thanks. (laughs) That's what I want to hear when I make a joke. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) Deadpan. Mm. That's so funny, Matthew. Uh, Christmas with the Cranks. This is one of your favorite movies. This is this Christmas is this movies. is my pick for Christmas movie this year because no one else voted for it last year on the poll, and I was very sad. Uh, I did my little cry, and then I said we're doing it this year, so we're doing it this year. Oh yeah, it only got one vote last year, and it was yours, right? Yeah, I, no, I think it got like eight or nine, but okay. the, the other ones that we actually did got overwhelmingly more votes. So, right. <sighs> So, Matthew, is this really one of your favorite Christmas movies, or is this just a pity pick for the movie? I mean, it's not Elf or Scrooged or Home Alone 2, which are probably the best. Okay. Or the original Christmas Carol, or the 1951 Christmas Carol, I mean. But it is a great Christmas film. (laughs) It is is one I would would gladly watch. I, I think I watched this probably every two or three years. Okay. That makes sense. I, like, I remember watching this at the cinema in 2004 um, and being really excited for it. And oh, wow. we'll, we'll get into my reaction at the time when we talk about the film itself. But how come... Uh, should I ask how you've never seen this? I mean, you hate Christmas and Christmas movies and happy Christmas things. So, of course, you wouldn't have seen this, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I have no idea. I don't remember this movie coming out, oh. honestly. I, I have no memories of seeing it being advertised. I have no memory of the trailer, of even knowing that this movie existed. And I didn't exactly live under a rock in 2004, so I don't understand it. I've always loved Christmas, not quite as fanatically as the way that I do now, but I have always loved it. And I really love Tim Allen, so it's a mystery. I just don't know. It makes no sense Do you remember the film Surviving Christmas coming out? Have you seen Surviving Christmas? No. Okay. Who's in that uh, one? Ben Affleck, Christina Applegate. Nope. Maybe I just didn't go to the movies in 2004. Hmm. So why don't you give us some history? Tell us what year this came out. <laughs> so Christmas with the Cranks is a, in case you missed it, 2004 family holiday comedy starring Tim Allen, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Dan Aykroyd. Directed by Joe Roth, the screenplay was written and produced by Chris Columbus. The movie is an adaptation of John Grisham's novel, Skipping Christmas. While the reviews are generally not favorable, it only got 5% on Rotten Tomatoes and 22 out of 100 on Metacritic, and did open third at the box office behind National Treasure and The Incredibles. With a $60 million budget, it grossed almost $97 million at the box office worldwide. Which is not bad for a Christmas movie. I agree. I, I read some places that were like, this this movie did horribly at the box office. It barely made its budget back, but it opened against National Treasure and The Incredibles. So I think that's pretty fantastic. Mm. 2004 was not a, a bad year for film at all. I've ju- just been having another look through the list. This was also the year that The Polar Express came out. So oh, that's probably the other yeah. big one. I feel like it's when The Grinch came out, but maybe that's the year before or after. 
But yeah, there's also Lemony Snicket's uh, series of unfortunate events came out. Ocean's 12 came out. Closer, Blade Trinity. Like, there was a lot of different stuff coming out, uh, like, this week. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it really didn't stand a chance. So to have come in third and made back its budget, you know, I I think this movie did pretty Mm -hmm. well. Uh, Do you want to give us a brief synopsis? So when their daughter joins the Peace Corps and will be away for Christmas, Luther and Nora Crank decide to skip Christmas and go on a cruise instead, causing strife with the neighbors. Which is a much less spoilery synopsis (laughs) than IMDb's. That is a good setup for for a story. I absolutely yeah. agree. I kind of want to read the book, but I kind of really don't because this is not John Grisham's genre. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I think I might just kind of let it lie with the movie, but I'm curious. I'm, I'm not even sure that Luther is actually a lawyer. I feel like he's more like an accountant or a consultant or something. That did not feel like a law firm. No, it did. I I really thought he was a, uh, like mm. an accountant as well. But then I realized that all of the number adding up that he was doing were his personal receipts. Yeah, but... So we really just don't know. No idea. Okay. Uh, how were you able to watch this one? This one is on Amazon Prime in the US. Nice. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's uh, not on the free streaming services over here, but you can rent it everywhere and it's on Sky Cinema. Because everything is on Sky Cinema over there. Pretty much. We've got a good Christmas channel this year. That's awesome. Yes. This was, so, uh, just, this isn't a spoiler, a little inside baseball. It's now mid-November that we're recording this. Uh, this was my third Christmas film of the year so far. <laughs> so I'm doing well. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so I watched two of the brand new Hallmark Christmas movies today. Oh, nice. Yes, I'm loving it. It's <laughs> wonderful. It's I, you, do you remember last year we talked about uh, the Summer Glau Christmas movie? help for the holidays yeah it's rubbish are you saying that because it's a hallmark movie or are you saying that because it's genuinely rubbish i'm saying that because it's deeply problematic that they spend half the film basically complaining that the mother is not taking care of the kids when she runs a shop with the father but there is no thing about like hey perhaps he could do some parenting too (laughs) so and there's a lot about like oh you have to look perfect and be skinny and have perfect teeth and and this is not that older film if this had been like okay. mid-90s, I would have forgiven it, but... Ooh. <laughs> this is just from like a couple of years ago, Yeah, right? exactly. Bad Mom's Christmas, however, hilarious. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, really good. A, a worthy... Su- well, I didn't the, see Bad Moms either, yeah, but... Bad Moms is really good as well, so... Anyway, Christmas with the Cranks. Um, yes. Can you tell me about your experience of Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis, please? I actually love both of them deeply. So, okay, so Tim Allen's stand-up comedy is really not that funny to me. I find it generally problematic and Mm -hmm. crude Mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, But I came to love Tim when he did Home Improvement. Mm -hmm. I don't know if if that was a show that was big in the UK like it was here. 6.30 on Channel 4. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's still on here, too, in in syndication. Um, and so then he he went on to do the three Santa Claus movies, which um, I talked about last year, are some of my favorite Christmas movies. We've done Galaxy Quest on the show. You know, so there's really not a lot that he's done that I've seen that I haven't liked. Um, you know, he's he's the voice of Buzz Lightyear on Toy Story. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in a Disney movie called Jungle to Jungle. 
<laughs> which I forgot existed till I was looking at his filmography and I was like, oh, I remember that movie. And I even like his current sitcom called Last Man Standing. I do. It like I deeply, deeply disagree with Tim Allen and his beliefs mm. and his character's beliefs. But I think it's hysterical okay. and I love it. I haven't seen it. I'm not sure it's made it over here yet. Yeah, yeah nice. it makes me laugh. Um, it got canceled and then another network picked it okay. up. Okay. Um, it is on Hulu over here, so yeah. you might have an opportunity to check it out. I just think it's funny. A lot of people don't. And Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. I primarily have known her because of True Lies and Freaky Friday. Okay. But I know that she's in Halloween. The, the whole franchise, um, of which I have seen the first movie. Okay. Um, I don't think I've seen any of the others, though I want to see the one that just came out this year. Cause just the, the I, other one with her, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was in like four I of them. I think four of them. So far, yeah, because there's Halloween H2O, um, mm-hmm. which has got her and her mum in it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she did a whole slew of them. And then I even noticed that I think it was in Halloween. It was Halloween 2 or 3. She did an uncredited, like, voice part. Okay. Even though she didn't play her character, she still had something to do with it, which I think is pretty great. Right. Um, She was also in the Veronica Mars movie, which was pretty okay. great. She was in another, like, romantic comedy type movie with Kristen Bell, I think, called You Again, which was also, a, I think it's funny. I like rom-coms. I love Kristen Bell. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> did did she they did she play stuff. the mom? <laughs> yes, she did. You shock me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's got Victor Garber and Sigourney Weaver and Betty White in it. I might watch that. It's got Kristen Chenoweth in it. I'm seeing this film. That sounds yeah, awesome. Yeah, I know. It's actually really good. I mean, it's really silly, but it's really good. It's got Patrick Duffy, Reginald Phil Johnson, Daryl Hall as himself. This is this is quite a lineup. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I have introduced Matthew to a movie. Mm. I think this is fantastic. I love it. Oh, and now he's reading about. And it. Now I'm reading about it. Yeah, <laughs> forget Christmas <laughs> to the Cranks. Um, we always ask about other films, uh, sort of similar genres, similar films that you, you're aware of. Can you tell me your experience of Christmas movies that start Tim Allen, where he shouts at someone and they fall off a roof? Uh, yeah, because I've seen them all. <laughs> like they're paying homage, uh, you- aren't they? Oh, they absolutely yeah. are. I mean, it's it's almost the same same character. Like Scott Calvin, Luther Crank, very very similar mm. characters. <laughs> nice. And I thought it was hilarious. You know, we can maybe talk about this later. But another similarity between the two movies was the scene where he got the Botox on his face. Okay. Because he looked like. Have you seen the Santa Claus Three? Yeah. That's the one where With Jack um, Frost. Yes. Mm. Actually, I can't remember if it's two or three. I think it's three but it's the one where they they have the machine where they like make a fake santa okay out of a like he's a life-sized toy like robot version of santa essentially but he's modeled after tim allen and so he's got that very plastic <laughs> face and so the botox scene in this like his face looked almost the same right. i was just like it these are so similar like it's weird it's bizarre that feels like, I like two because i think it's got the whole thing with him going off in search of a wife Yes, and he ends up you're right. spoilers, but he ends up marrying Sawyer's woman who dies in Lost. Juliet, yes. <laughs> it's all connected. Conspiracy. It's all connected. <laughs> serious, serious podcasters. Um Chris, Christmas with the Cranks. Did you enjoy this Christmas movie? Oh my god, this movie is perfect and I loved it. Nice. Good. 
I mean, is anybody really surprised? It's a Christmas movie with Tim Allen in it, and it's funny. A, a little bit. So I think that the first question I have for you is, why do people not like this film? So my initial reaction to that question is, who the heck doesn't like this movie? Basically everyone, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, honestly, I was really surprised. And um, Roger Ebert gave it one star, and his review is absolutely <laughs> savage. He said... It's a holiday movie of stunning awfulness that gets even worse when it turns gooey at the end. And the movie is not funny ever in any way, beginning to end. It's a colossal miscalculation. That may be one of the worst film reviews I've ever (laughs) seen. And honestly, okay, I do. I love this movie. It makes me happy. It brings me joy. It made me laugh. But he's not entirely wrong. No. I mean, because, and I mentioned this a few times in in my thoughts, Doc, the cranks are, in reality, actually perfectly reasonable people, and they're made out to be Grinches while the rest of the neighborhood is absolutely insane and bullies them. Well, I I think that's the problem with the film. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you my thoughts on the film, if that's okay. Sure. The film, I'm not sure it has three acts, but the first act, maybe two, is them deciding to skip Christmas and then them working to skip Christmas. It's everything up to Christmas Eve and and the phone call that happens 45 minutes in. And all the way through that, I don't think it takes the audience with it. And I can remember even watching this in the cinema and it happens every time that I'm watching it now. Like, there is a middle ground here. He's saying, we're going to skip Christmas. We're going to be absolutely 100% nothing to do with Christmas. 100%, 0% to do with Christmas. So no charitable donations, no calendar, no putting up Frosty, no tree, nothing like that. And everyone is like, but you must do Christmas, you have to do Christmas, and you're awful if you don't do Christmas. But there is, like, it's so easy to say, just put the Frosty up. Like, there is no problem putting the Frosty up. Do buy the calendar or donate money or to the police and to the Christmas tree people and all of this. Like, you might as well do that for the charity and the contribution of it, because that is still important things you should do. And, and, and like, one of the good things it does is, is Nora forces Luther to give money to charity mm-hmm. uh, as, as part of the deal of them skipping Christmas. But then because they go to the nth degree and the neighbours and everyone around them go to the opposite of the nth, the minus nth degree, like, mm-hmm. I, I completely understand there is comedy in that and there is very little comedy in nice people being reasonable and understanding a situation. But at the same time... <laughs> What they try and bring out of this comedy, I'm just at the like, no, you could do this better and this would not be a problem. I think there is probably a better way of writing this that takes us with it, that helps us understand where they get to. And it almost, it almost does it on a couple of occasions. Um, particularly where, you know, people are trying to force Nora into things and she ends up going, no, who are you to make me do this thing? I want to go on the cruise. And, and, and that is a very reasonable reaction, but. It's just it doesn't get there soon enough and then doesn't take us with them. Yeah, no, I think you're you're absolutely right. And and even I I had noted in my in my docs, you know, why don't you just buy the calendar? Yeah. You know, why you know, it's not a complete boycott of the nice things that you do mm. in your life. It's just we're not throwing a party. We're not doing the tree and the decorations. You know, we're going to go do this tropical thing for ourselves. Mm. That doesn't mean you ignore the rest of the season completely. Mm. 
you know, and I think that was the one piece. If I had one thing that I would have changed, it would have been that. But on the other hand, one of the things that Tim Allen is really, really good at, and it turns out Jamie Lee Curtis is too, is this physical comedy. Right. Now, I was going to talk about this in, in my favorite moments, but I can talk about it now. This movie would not, if they had written it the way that you suggest, of finding well-written comedy among reasonable people, it wouldn't have had the same impact because you wouldn't have had the wildly gesticulating hand gestures and you wouldn't have had the facial expressions and the sarcasm and the physical comedy of Jamie Lee Curtis sliding down the ice into the street. Mm. You know, and those are some of the things that make this movie what it is. So you kind of have to have that stupid unrealistic awful conflict Mm. in order to get what they were going for i think because i feel like with a cast like tim allen and jamie lee curtis if you're gonna do a comedy you're stupid not to make it that kind of physical comedy oh yeah let him do his shtick and and the the cat noise and the Exactly like you say, the, the, the wild gesticulation and falling over and falling off the roof stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> he does like to fall off roofs, doesn't he? So I think that's, because that's the first, like I said, it's the first 45 minutes. It's kind of the first maybe third of the film, almost half. If it doesn't take you on its journey then, it's very hard to get back into for the next sequence. And because mm-hmm. I, I can completely get it, like people, I, I've seen a lot of people put this on the worst Christmas movie of all times type lists. Right. And make comments along the lines of, it's cynical, it's about the worst things of Christmas, it's about conforming, uh, and that you, if you conform, everyone will help you, if you don't conform, everyone hates you, and it's just about how horrendous the season is. But I don't think even that's quite true, because... The film makes the argument for not conforming, and it says that they are going to be very happy going off on the cruise, but it also makes the argument that actually Christmas is quite lovely, and doing things for mm-hmm. each other and making things nice is the good thing about Christmas. Exactly what we talked about last year. It's the finding the right present, wrapping the right present nicely, throwing the good party, doing good stuff for each other. Yeah. Uh, one of the Hallmark movies I was watching today had a quote. I, I mm. can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something about... The thing that I enjoy the most about Christmas is watching other people enjoy Christmas Mm. or enjoying other people enjoy Christmas or something like that. And for me, that's exactly what Christmas is. And I think that that is at the heart of what this movie was trying to say, especially when you consider how it ended with that quiet moment with Luther and and Walt. Mm. That is what Christmas is about. And that is what this movie was talking about. It just had this big, like theatrical physical comedy rapper Mm. the film has that turn at 45 minutes and i think although we always spoil all films if you've not seen christmas with the cranks i recommend going and watching it because it does a thing at 45 minutes and it does a thing at about an hour and a half hour and 40 in that i think are some of the best turns in any movies and and absolutely earn all the credit i will give to this film um so go and watch them we haven't actually spoiled that yet have we? no exactly so Yes, yeah, stop listening, yeah. go watch it, then come back and finish. So having watched it now, at 45 minutes, they get a call from their daughter, who mm-hmm. spontaneously says, I'm coming home, and I'm engaged. 
And so, of course, yes, they want to drop it. Not telling her about the thing is perhaps, again, it is a criticism I see leveled at it, deservingly. Like, no, tell her. Tell her, we're having a quieter Christmas this year, so we're not going to have all the trimmings. Really sorry, but it will be lovely because we'll create new traditions, something like that. But fine. There's no comedy in that, and there is good comedy in her trying to buy Hickory Honey Ham. <laughs> I'm sorry, ham that comes ham that comes in a tin is not ham. I love it. I love that that's the daughter's favoriteest favorite thing in the world. You know, they live in this really nice Chicago suburb. He clearly makes a lot of money and does very well. If, yep. if from what I can see, well, they spend six thousand dollars on Christmas and she doesn't work. They're doing okay. Right. But the daughter loves this, exactly as he says, like, water and gelatinous cube. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that they called that out in the movie, mm. though. Where was I going with that? Remind me. It does the turn. Um, wow, I don't remember. Yeah. So so it does the turn, and I, I think it gets really good from there. That's the point I really get into it. Because the the comedy mm-hmm. gets better. They're doing even more of that slapstick stuff of them falling over, dropping things, falling off the roof, trying to work things out. You see him trying to, you know, buy a Christmas tree and not be able to, um, you know, having to buy the worst tree at the highest price and all this kind of thing. And it's good. Mm-hmm. It's almost deserving because he went to the nth degree with right. putting ice out and mocking people and all this kind of thing. So So it works. And then when you get to the party... And and that moment where everyone does pull together, it becomes a great Christmas film. On that point of, we're all going to pitch in and we're all going to help and we're going to do it for Blair. And they've set that up at the very beginning with Dan Aykroyd saying, we're all really going to miss her this year. You know, right. the, everyone is aware she's not there and, and um, is, is sad about her not being part of the community. So they get to do the thing to make her happy. And it, it wins me over completely. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think I let, it did pull me in from the beginning, though. Mm. So even during that first 45 minutes where you're right, there there wasn't a lot for the unsuspecting person who was coming to this, having no idea what it was about. There's there's not a ton there until you get to that turn. But I'm an odd duck, I think. So, so I think that's where I was going with it. Did you know what was coming? I did because IMDb likes to spoil things. Okay. Which is why I did not use the IMDb description in this episode because it flat out tells you that their daughter changes their plans and comes home and they have to scramble to make it work. Mm. But I did expect there to be another turn after that um, where everyone works so hard to make this, you know, to pull this party off and then suddenly Blair is delayed somewhere and doesn't even make it home. I was expecting that to happen because I honestly assumed that the largest twist of the movie wouldn't be spoiled by IMDb. I assumed that incorrectly. Okay. But it didn't, it really didn't detract from my enjoyment of the movie, knowing that it was coming because it's, in a movie like this, it's not about knowing what happens, it's experiencing it. Right. There are a lot of movies where I get really upset if I get spoiled or books mm. if I get spoiled. Mm. I, you're the same way. You avoid trailers mm-hmm. because you don't want to get spoiled. But with this particular movie, I enjoyed the experience of watching it from start to finish so much that it really didn't bother okay. me. And and I think some of that is has to do just with my sheer love of Christmas. Like the first 45 minutes where there's really nothing happening except – these people deciding they're not doing Christmas and telling everybody and then getting bullied for it. 
you know oh yeah i mean mm. that's really all that happened it, it's setting up this this conflict that they have to overcome but i see so much of myself in nora <laughs> like i super need a christmas vest <laughs> Like, that is one of the things that I came out of this movie thinking. You know, she's like, oh, I need my Christmas vest because now we have to plan. Yeah, I need a Christmas vest. That's fantastic. You know, everything in her house was, even if it wasn't related to Christmas, it was all decorated in Christmas colors. Oh, yeah. Did you happen to notice that? <laughs> yeah, there's like a framed print of Rudolph in the kitchen. And like... Right. And there, there's this massive red and white quilt hanging on the yeah. wall. You know, she's got garlands everywhere. You know, she is the embodiment of Christmas, mm. and that's what I want to be. I love it. And so I totally saw myself in her. And even even when she was on board with going on the cruise, she was still kind of reluctant and hesitant because she was giving up these things that she has always loved so much. Things that she didn't just do for Blair. She did for herself. Mm. And, and so I just – I see myself in her. And then watching Luther – be so gung-ho about skipping Christmas. He had so much joy when he was writing that letter to his job that yeah. he wasn't doing Christmas. <laughs> like, it super reminds me of Joseph. Oh, really? <laughs> He's a little overwhelmed at, at my level of intensity Aww. for Christmas. <laughs> and so I can easily see this being us in, like, 10 years. Easily. And I think that's just... It, it felt so familiar and normal to mm. me that I just really enjoyed it. I'm weird. I know fine no it's nice and it's making me wonder am i looking or are we looking at this the wrong way that it's a spoiler to know that she's coming home when it is part of the trailers and like everything's spoiling it is it just this is part of the story like you are supposed to watch it and that's why at times certainly he is so awful about it and like putting the ice down and so on because you know it's setting him up for a fall and that he's going to yeah. have to uh, eat some crow at some point. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, honestly, I think the real twist is that final... I mean, it's not the final, final scene, but the, the scene where he goes to see Walt mm. and Bev. Like, to me, that is the actual climax of the mm-hmm. movie. The, the resolution of everything that we've seen coming, you know, leading up to it. Seeing Luther's heart change. Or not even change, but just seeing him recognize and understand what Nora's been trying to explain to him about Christmas. I don't know. That To me, that is the moment that makes the movie great. Yeah, I, I 100% I'm agree. I'm totally stealing your favorite No, no, part. you are I'm sorry. completely right. That is exactly the point to which I go, yeah, this film is, is really good at what it does. Because... All, all the way through, there's things that don't quite hang together. Thing, mm-hmm. Things that it, you are exactly right to question about. Why is this ham her favourite thing? Wait, why is Dan Aykroyd not good at putting up decorations when he loves Christmas so much? Why do the police not know who Spike is when he's telling them about Spike, but then they know who Spike is when he comes on the radio to them, and they say, don't radio us so often? Like, right. There is a lot in this that you go, wait, that... That doesn't quite hang together. That's not quite good writing. But then when they come to that final piece, and even the build-up to the final piece, like I think they suddenly go a bit too hard on Tim Allen is sulking and needs to do something to overcome it. I feel they they could have set that up more nicely, um, a little, mm-hmm. little more subtly, and, and probably not have given him a speech about being good to other people. Right. But then when he goes over, it does absolutely everything perfectly. 
the initial thing I always think is, well, why are they not at the party? And they say, we're not at the party because it's snowing, it's really cold, we didn't want to go out. And mm-hmm. absolutely fine. They've built up everything about um, her cancer returning, and clearly this is potentially her last Christmas. This kind of set up for it. And he then isn't sure about making the gestures, so he gives them the ham. And even that, I'm not sure why they've now got two hams, or they've not served the ham, or who knows. And then he returns, he goes, no, I am going to go through with this. And he goes back in, he gives them the, the cruise, and he has to fence off every single thing they return back to him, where they say, oh, mm-hmm. we want to pay you for it. No, no, it's our gift to you. Oh, but it's in the wrong name. No, I'll get that sorted. Oh, but what about this thing? No, we'll get that sorted. Oh, but what about the cat? Well, I'll take care of the cat. And he really wants to give them, give this to them. He could stay quiet at any point and still have the thing and give it to someone else or try to get a refund or something. Mm-hmm. But he is absolutely yeah. into giving it to them. And it's it's lovely. And then he comes out and he gets to see what it means to them. And he doesn't make a big thing of it. He's not looking for credit or gratitude. He just walks away and leaves them to it. It's not, right. oh, I'll join you for dinner and I'll help you pack and we'll make this a big event. It's just, it's lovely. He hands it over. And then his wife gets a call and she comes out and, and has a quiet moment with him. And it is absolutely yeah. lovely. And it's making me a little choked up now. It brings a tear to my eye every single time. It is so nicely done. Oh, I had a few tears watching mm. it. Absolutely. And I was I, I was trying not to tell you when, when I knew you were going to watch this. I almost said like, oh, have some handkerchiefs, you know, have some tissues handy. But no, I, it's better if you don't know that sort of sentimentality is coming. Yeah, because you don't expect no, it for sure. It's, it's more honest because it's almost out of the blue from this film that is just... Like you say, slapstick and silliness. Right. It's a Dan Aykroyd film, but, but those believable. are not normally sentimental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think the only part I probably would have taken out, mm. I, you know, I probably would have cleared up some of the inconsistencies that mm. you were talking about. But the piece that I would have completely removed is, like you said, they kind of overdid his sulking. Mm-hmm. And so the scene where he leaves the party and is sitting by himself drinking the wine or the champagne and Nora comes in and calls him out on still sulking. Mm -hmm. I think that scene I would have taken out because it was still, I mean, it was obvious to the viewer that he was sulking when he refused to make a speech. You know, when he's looking at the ground, he's looking everywhere except at a person who's trying to catch his attention so that he would say something. In that moment, you know, you know, and and they did that twice Mm, back to back. mm. And so, you know, already where his head is. We didn't need that third one so quickly beating us over the head with it leading into that, that final scene with Walt. Mm. And, And in some ways, I think it's the wrong emotion. Him sulking about everyone having to help him because he's so prideful and he wanted to get it, get it sorted. I can kind of understand that. But for then, for that to turn into okay, so I'm going to go and do something nice and that's going to make it all better. Even that doesn't quite gel. Mm-hmm. If it was just him being, wow, we've got some amazing neighbours and I don't know what to say and I don't know how to deal with this properly. But maybe that's not the sort of thing you can get from Tim Allen. Maybe that's got a bit more, too much nuance from it. That's a Tom Hanks kind of thing, isn't it? I think yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever seen Tim Allen do something serious and dramatic mm. it, it may not be that because it doesn't exist it could just be that i haven't seen it but i'm not sure he has it in him he probably does he probably just doesn't want to and you know fair enough that's a possibility mm. so that's the kind of major beats of it mm-hmm. let's talk jamie lee curtis 
Okay. So I watched Halloween this year, which I'd never seen before. Uh, okay. And that's, I think, like her feature film debut. She, I think so. she, she was very basically young. always played the mum, even in that. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- she has always been. You mentioned True Lies, Freaky Friday, uh, everything I've seen her in. She's done this kind of very maternal figure. Mm-hmm. And I can't decide whether in this, this is the most Jamie Lee Curtis or whether this is her deciding or getting to do a sort of caricature, silly version of what she normally does. Yeah, I think it's a silly version of what she already does. Okay. Just because it was so melodramatic and overreactive. And it's a level of physical comedy that I'm not accustomed to seeing from mm-hmm. her. Like the sliding down the sidewalk or chasing the ham as it rolls into the street you know fighting the woman in the grocery store and ending up on the cart running into the display like i feel like those are all comedic beats that we would never see her do in other movies the most comedy i can recall her doing and this doesn't mean that this is all she's ever done it's just what i recall are the seduction scene in true lies okay and then when she gets to play the teenager in Freaky Friday. Right. Like, oh, I'm like the Crypt Keeper, <laughs> you know? And and both of those are when she's trying to be somebody her character's not. Mm. They're not just intrinsic to the character the way that she plays Nora. Right. And so I feel like Nora is a departure for her, and I, I think she did it brilliantly. Yeah, I, I love her in this. I think it's wonderful because it's such a normal character. I mean, there's... Very little fantastical about this film in general, which is quite nice for a Christmas film, that it's so grounded. Mm-hmm. But I love that we get to see her doing her sort of meeting with ladies at lunch, and she orders the finest things. But then she goes and helps serve food, and yeah, it's really interesting. It's it's a great, mm-hmm. great role, and um, I, I, oh, I can't remember if I'm about to steal one of your favourites, but I love the bit where the, the setup to them skipping Christmas... Where they're eating a dinner together and he starts flirting with her. And she's just <laughs> yeah. totally overwhelmed at this point. Like, oh, crikey, crikey. You know, has to take the vest off and all this kind of thing. And, and right. I mean, that is a well done scene. And it has to be because that absolutely has to sell the idea that, yes, they could do this thing. Because it is a little surprising to skip Christmas, I think, in any, any yeah. uh, you know, Western culture. Um, I was about to say any culture. Mm-hmm. That's clearly not true. <laughs> um but I think it absolutely, she gets so excited with that because this is so out of the norm and seems so interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not going to take the line because it is a great line. But I really love just how ordinary her life is, but still nice. And she's just such a good person. It's mm-hmm. great. I have all the time in the world for her in this. I love that we are just unabashedly gushing about this movie, even while admitting it has faults. I love it. Yeah, I think it's better because of the faults. Because in liking it, we can look past them and go, but but there is also this really good stuff in there. Yeah. yeah. No, I absolutely agree. Mm. These are my favorite kinds of episodes. And, and Jamie Lee Curtis, so after watching Halloween, I was reading about her. Because like I say, I was watching and going, God, you know, she's always played this kind of maternal, responsible, caregiving type character. She's a fascinating person. She's a godmother to Jake Gyllenhaal. She's really close friends with Sigourney Weaver. Uh, she's a big fan of World of Warcraft. She is a baroness. Um, she's married to Christopher Guest. Her father was Tony Curtis. And her mother was someone else who's famous, whose name I know I can't remember. And I now can't find. Who was her mother? 
Janet Lee. Her mother is Janet Lee. <laughs> like, I I had no idea of any of this. It, it's right. almost most fascinating because of how similar she is to um, Carrie Fisher. It's that same kind of exceptionally oh. famous parents, huge amounts, you know, right. uh, getting into film very early on. Lots of interesting things happening throughout your life, for better or worse. But still having that star power of her own right yeah. and her own marriage. She's clearly very good at what she does. Mm. Yes. Okay, so I have a question about this movie. Mm. You know, you talked about some inconsistencies and things like that. But there's one thing that bugged me more than anything else in this movie. And I'm hoping you can answer that okay. question. Okay. Why... Did he decide to borrow a freaking Christmas tree from his neighbor instead of just going and buying a fake tree? I can believe it because they're people who spend $6,000 on Christmas and $60 on ornament repair. There is a big difference between a fake tree and a real tree. And if you're going to do Christmas, you do Christmas with a real tree. I used to be one of those people, so I completely understand. (laughs) I do. But it's last minute. There's absolutely no possible way you're going to borrow a tree, redecorate it, take it back, redecorate it again. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. So go buy a fake tree. You can buy a $2,000 fake tree. That's pretty convincing. You really can. If you have the money, if you can spend $6,000 on Christmas, you can get a really convincing victory and you can still do it on Christmas Eve, even in 2004. So I'm just saying, that was the sticking point for me in this movie that I just (laughs) could not hang with. The rest of it I was fine with, but the tree just irritated me. See, I can can buy it because... Of the difference between real and fake. And I, and I think because plan A is go and buy a real tree. And that doesn't work because he ends up with a stick. And then plan B is borrow a tree. Had he not been able to borrow a tree, maybe he would have gone to plan C, which is buy a fake one. Maybe. Maybe. So what's he going to do on Christmas Day when Blair wakes up and there's no tree anymore? Because he had to take it home to its real owner. Oh, weren't they away for the holidays? I think they were away for several days, so... Oh, maybe it was several maybe. days. I mean, because you assume at some point Blair is going to find out. Someone at the party is going to say, like, God, this is amazing because your parents are going to skip Christmas. Hick. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's let's not pull these threads too strongly. Yeah. yeah the, there are <laughs> things like that that I can kind of buy into and, and because they're that element of the comedy. But there are also times when I'm just... Uh, no, you've not supported that in your own writing. The freezing of the cat is another one like that. It's just silly oh, slapstick. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And I can't remember if, if okay. the cat was even in the book. I, I feel like it wasn't. I mean, the book is so, so similar to this. There's, there's very few differences, except you get a bit more understanding of the characters. Um, okay. By and large, they are word for word the same sort of thing. It's a very, very short story as well. It's about 100 pages. Oh, Okay. Mm. That's interesting, because it was called a novel, not a novella. Maybe it's more. Hmm. It's not a big story. It's it's a day's read. (laughs) Okay. Interesting. Okay, now you made a comment a little bit ago about how this was a Christmas movie that didn't have elements of the fantastical and is very grounded. Mm. But didn't they want us to believe that that Marty guy was actually Santa Claus? Yeah, that, that is possibly the thing I would take out of this. 
Well, yeah. Um, I guess I, I would too because it it didn't add anything. No. Like he didn't cause this this event to like happen successfully. He contributed nothing to it other than making everybody say, "Who is that guy? Mm. We don't know him. Oh, but he knows you." Like that was weird, right? I I think when I say it's the one thing I would take out, I would take out the uh, VW Beetle with reindeer at the end. Pretty much everything else about him I would keep. It's absolutely fine. Uh, Because there is a hint that he's Father Christmas. But that's as far as it goes. And then at the end they go, oh, no, no. His beetle is actually now Santa's sled. (laughs) Mm. Bit weird. I'm not sure it needs to be there. Right. But then I think if you do that, you have to just have a line in there about who he is or, or something slightly stronger to support it. And I'm not sure what that would be. Yeah. It just it it felt weird and out of place. Yeah, because the rest of it is all so honest and you know, true life stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and the point of it is bringing the community together mm. to help. Mm. And if the community is doing it, you don't need the magic of Santa Claus. Yeah. Actually, that's something that's explained a bit better in the book. The the whole frosty thing is because they're trying to win some prize about like best decorated street. And there's another street in Chicago that it, it always runs them close, so they want to make sure they outdo them. And by having a, a house down, they're going to lose it, this kind of thing. And that adds another, you know, a decent explanation for why Frosty is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it makes sense. Um, and I, I think I even noted this, because looking at the street with every house beautifully decorated with this one dark spot, you know, it, it, it's very noticeable. Mm. And you can kind of tell, you know, I, I would probably be upset if i was one of his neighbors i would not have reacted the way his neighbors did <laughs> oh no you like, would you know have what? come on <laughs> <laughs> you know i probably would have offered to help decorate for them so they didn't have to do it and when vic offered to do that for luther mm-hmm. i don't understand why luther said no it, he would not have been out anything it would have been no effort no work no nothing mm. and everybody would have been happy like he did it for spite yeah which was something else I didn't like. But again, that was just so that the growth of his heart at the end would be more evident, I think. They have to make reasonable people do unreasonable things yeah. for there to be conflict to overcome in movies yeah. like this. And I get that. But it's still frustrating at times. And yeah, partially because Dan Aykroyd's character is not truly unreasonable. Slightly unreasonable expectations. But he says, you know, we'll do it for you. We'll head up. We'll help. Mm-hmm. If there's a line in there of... You don't even have to lift a finger, Mr. Lazybones. We'll do it for you. You could understand the pride on the other side of going, no, F him. <laughs> I'm not going to let him. Yeah, right. that kind of thing. Mm. But then it does the turn at the end. And it's great. <laughs> yes. yes. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect movie. We might like to think there is, <laughs> but there's not. No, I, I can remember watching this and, and thinking all this all the way through it. And then it gets to that piece at the end. And, you know, my heart grew three sizes that day, frankly. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Why well, you got to have the tissues because you're going to tear yeah. up. So so we've gushed quite a bit. But is there anything else that you wanted to call out as being uh, something that you really enjoyed from this? Two lines. Um, we've already talked about the physicality of the comedy. Mm. Love that. Tim Allen's sarcasm, though, is spectacular. Right. <laughs> when he goes through the rain twice 
to get the chocolate that she needs because this is before they've decided they're skipping Christmas. He's like, well, I couldn't find it. They didn't have it. And she says, did you talk to Rex? Who's Rex? The butcher. As odd as it sounds, I didn't think of asking the butcher where the chocolate was. And I just cried <laughs> because he's right. He is absolutely 100% right mm-hmm. in that scenario. And it was fantastic. But he still went back yeah. in. It's great. It's nice him being adrift in her world. Because to her, it's a perfectly natural yeah. thing. That's the person you speak to when you need something. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I did... Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about the idea that because it was raining, she couldn't go in on her own. Like, she kind of manipulated him into doing it. Like, oh, fine, I'll go. And he's like, no, 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 you stay here. I'll go do it. You know, and it kind of made it seem like because it's raining, the man needs to go do this so it doesn't inconvenience the wife. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a small thing. It it really is. But it was something that stuck with me for a few minutes before I laughed at the sarcasm and got over it. It it, it is really hard because, yes, there is an an origin of sexism to the... In inverted commas, chivalry of the piece. Yeah. Uh, and that yeah. idea. But at the same time, if it was really raining and I wanted someone to go in, I'd try and manipulate them into it. And I'm fairly sure other people would do it to me as well. <laughs> I, I, I don't think gender is a thing, but except for the thing of he wants to be nice to his wife and not make her have to go out and possibly catch a cold. Okay, that's fair. That's a much more generous reading but of it than I But You are ab- like absolutely that. right. The, the very obvious reading of it of dad goes and gets the car when it's raining so that no one else has to go into the thing when it's just him and her is a bit uh yeah mm. but still (laughs) and and there was one more and and you alluded to the scene but you didn't take the line because you knew i had Mm -hmm. it written down um during the scene where he is telling her that he wants to go on a cruise and um she thinks that he's talking about something else doesn't quite understand that he's trying to to do this cruise that he's not seducing her with his hawaiian shirt (laughs) she's like oh it's not even saturday night and then a few minutes later once she kind of understands what's happening and then she still she gets really excited that he wants to do this thing that's different and then he goes it's not even Saturday night. Yeah. And it was just a really nice gag that they kind of repeated from both of them. And it made me laugh. And I thought it was lovely. It is a wonderful insight to the sort of mundanity of uh, stereotypical adulthood and married life. Mm -hmm. The the thing of them a bit later on where they're sat there and she's untangling yarn and he's reading the paper or something. Mm -hmm. I mean... I don't think that's real, but it kind of normalizes this idea of what adults are. And this thing of... Saturday night, we have a nice meal, we do it, we go to bed. <laughs> and it's and it's like clockwork and it's how they live their life. I'm not sure that I don't believe that you and Catherine don't have nights where you read and she sits there untangling yarn. Well, we also have the TV on and watch, you know, lots of movies and play video games and stuff. But the sitting there with nice music or in the piece and doing this thing, it's, oh, it's a different generation, I think. <laughs> okay. Mm. Fair enough. Fair enough. What about you? What have we not gushed about that you really wanted to talk about? Uh, there's only one thing, and it's it stands out to me this year because I now get the reference. When the Hickory Honey Ham is rolling away from her down the car park, or, or she's gone through all the plava to get this Hickory Honey Ham, and it's rolling away from her, and she's chasing after it, and then he gets squashed by a truck, they play the theme from Halloween. 
it's this super dark horror theme. And because I'd never watched Halloween mm-hmm. before, I'd never heard it before. It's really good. It absolutely works. Okay. I did not pick up on that. I did not know that at all. I, I mean, I have seen Halloween, but it was way back mm. when I was in high school. Yeah, because it was only, only a so. couple of weeks ago at Halloween that I watched it. And I'm like, okay, that is very, very nice. I, I was hoping they might do something like that, and they did. That's, that is awesome. Mm. I'm going to have to go back and, and look yeah. for it. All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about Christmas with the Cranks? So I don't think I realized this was a book. I know it says it's a book, but I don't think I'd ever really sort of taken it in and gone, oh, hey, this was a book. And I can remember watching this two or three times going, why is this film not called Skipping Christmas? Skipping Christmas is a much better title for this film, given the amount that they say the phrase Skipping Christmas. And it turns out it's based on a book called Skipping Christmas, but the film is actually called Christmas with the Cranks. Did it stand out to you at all that the title was different or it was the wrong title? No, not really. And I think that's just because I wouldn't have known that there was a book. I mean, they said it up Mm. front, which was shocking to me. I was like, wow, that's a book by John (laughs) Grisham. You know, but I think I'm just used to a a certain level of movie where the adaptation does not have the same title as the book. And so it didn't seem weird to me. And considering that the climax of this movie is them actually not skipping Christmas... It makes sense yeah. in some weird, twisted way. Maybe. I wonder if it's a repeat uh, viewing thing. Because, like I say, just watching it, I always go, no, Skipping Christmas is a much, much better title. I do agree with you on that. Because there was a film coming out called Surviving Christmas. They didn't want them to get confused. Oh. Mm. I see. Mm. Which is why I mentioned it up front. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think... I think you're right. Skipping Christmas is a much better title. And I, I wonder... I wonder if it would have been, like, better received if it had been called Skipping Christmas instead of Christmas with the Cranks. Because Christmas with the Cranks is really, like, you think about it and you're like, I don't even know what that movie's going to be about. Yeah. I don't mm. know. Hmm. Interesting. It's nice because it is this whole period of, oh, they're not postmodern Christmas films, but, but they are modern Christmas films. So where the sort of traditional Christmas film has a lot going on about... Reclaiming childhood of the baby boomers. This mm-hmm. idea of it snows and everyone gathers together and it's all nice and so on. The, the sort of modern Christmas film is about, oh, we've got to go and see this member of the family. We've got to go and see this person and the stress of the season and the commercialization of the season and so on. And, and this mm-hmm. fits very much in that sort of much more modern category that I like a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause it's a more honest telling of it, but still with some of the same ideas about it is about pulling together and doing stuff. I think it really, it works on that level so well for me, which is why it's one I can always recommend. But then you see it on a list saying it's one of the worst Christmas films ever and I feel a little bit sad inside. (laughs) I think this movie fits in very well with, like, I'm really big into the Hallmark Christmas movies. Mm. Are you? And I feel like this, (laughs) you never would have known that, would you? (laughs) To me, this movie is just like those. Mm. The only difference is it's a comedy, not a romance. Mm -hmm. But it still has all of those same themes and it still fits into that, that, like you say, that that modern era of Christmas. Mm. You know, and and it always ends with the conflict is solved. People come together and there's a wonderful Christmas. And it's not about, it's usually has no religion references. Like this one is very secular. 
you know, you, you hear more about Frosty than you do anybody <laughs> else in, in this telling of Christmas. And you get that in a lot of these more modern adaptations. Mm. I like it. So I read an article earlier from a Christian website. I was trying to look up something about this film. I can't remember what it was now. There's something I was trying to find. I, I found this Christian website that written this whole thing about this film, about skipping Christmas, um, and about how Dan Aykroyd's character really doesn't want them to skip Christmas, but he also doesn't teach them to remember what Christmas is really about and whose birthday we're actually celebrating. Um, and they'd reached out for comments from different members of the cast and had gotten some back, but had this whole thing about, you know, but we never heard back from John Grisham and it's so sad because he's a deeply spiritual and religious person and he would have understood that skipping Christmas does also mean you can celebrate the true meaning of the season. So I was like, oh, guys, this is just a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you reminded mm-hmm. me of that. I'd completely forgotten about that. <laughs> I think that at the end of the day, this movie is just intended to be good Christmas mm. fun. And I think it absolutely fits that yeah. bill. I, th- I think for exactly the sort of Christmas movies we like, like you say about just being generous and charitable and enjoying Christmas, it, it works so well. Mm-hmm. It does it really, really well in fact. Yeah. yeah. I would actually, I would put this on my list with the Santa Claus and Elf yeah. as being movies that I would watch over and over again. Honestly, I would. That's good. I have, so... okay well if you would like to join the married conversation you can use the hashtag pc deprived on twitter you can find us on twitter facebook and instagram at eloquent gushing you can send us an email at podcasts at eloquentgushing.com or you can leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash eloquent gushing you can find each of us on twitter i'm at mandy k and i'm at matthew vose Pop Culture Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. Anything you can give, even $1 a month, gives access to exclusive content and helps to support the network and develop new shows. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And if you want to find the rest of our shows, visit our homepage eloquentgushing.com where you can see all the other shows and podcasts that we put out. We'll be back next week with the 100th episode of Pop Culturally Deprived where we'll talk about the 1994 adaptation of Miracle on 34th Street. Until next time, I'm Andy Kay. And don't ever say hickory honey ham again. Hickory honey ham. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com.